Hey guys, so what is Thrivehood, you might ask? Well, that's a good question. I'd say it's a relevant life roadmap for young men out there who want to thrive as they're maturing boldly into manhood. From the very serious to the silly, I chat about a wide variety of relatable topics that both challenge and motivate you to do what needs to be done now so you can become who you want to be later. I'm Tim Williams, and this is Thrivehood. Hey guys, welcome in. Uncle Tim here. Yeah, as you can tell from the title of this episode, it's a pretty heavy subject. And I felt like it's something that we need to talk about. I feel like it's something that needs to be discussed because you guys out there need an opportunity and a bit of encouragement to say that you can push through and you can get to the other side of this ugly thing called suicide. I have interviewed recently Dr. Jessica Peck. She wrote a book towards the end of last year called Behind Closed Doors, and she talks specifically about this, and we even talk specifically to you young men about this and some of the challenges and some of the ways that you can overcome this. And normally my episodes are around 10 to 15 minutes in length, but we're probably topping out around 50 minutes. I know it's kind of a longer episode, but this is a pretty serious subject. So if you can't finish this out in one setting, hey, pause it or just make a note of where you were and pick it back up because this is huge. The last thing I want to say, I'm trying to make this quick. Please share this, guys. Come on. Help me out. Get this into the hands and into the ears of other young men. If you know of a man, a young man, a teenager, a boy, whoever, that may have said something, may have just even if it was in a flippant response, just say, hey, bud, don't know if you're serious or not, but check out this episode and this podcast. Maybe this is something that'd be helpful. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Okay, guys, join us now as I interview Dr. Jessica Peck. Ladies and gentlemen. It's the one and only Jessica Peck. How are you, girl? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What an introduction. I hope my kids are listening. I mean, really, they could use a little more of that in their life. I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, so I know we're sort of joking around and we're having fun, but we want to dive into a pretty heavy subject. And I want to the very first thing I want to say is this, and I want to just say this to my listening audience. There may be a moment here but where I may come off maybe disingenuous or almost comical, look, this is a deep subject. So your job is to educate us. You're the straight person in the room and I'm going to be the dork and the doofus that might say something that's inappropriate here. But the point to all of this is there is some level of just taking a breath right on a subject like this and just saying, we just, you just need a minute to breathe, you know, and, and everything's going to be okay. Is that, is that a fair way to get us started? Tim, I give you full permission to be a human, to be a human being. And sometimes it's hard to wrestle with things like this. And that's one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about. Sometimes we deal with that with inappropriate humor, or we laugh when we're not supposed to, or make an ill-timed joke or say something that sounds insensitive. And it's not that we don't mean well on the inside. It's just 
these are things that are hard to talk about. So right now, right here, I declare a safe space between me and you to have this conversation and to just muddle through all of those awkward things. It's all good. I think that's great. Thank you, mom. I appreciate that. So <laughs> no, I'm saying that all in jest and fun. Hey, so I'm going to jump right into this where and we're what we're doing, guys, we're unpacking a chapter in the book behind closed doors. And we're talking a little bit about and, and we're not going to cover it here in the next 20 minutes or so. Right. This, this is something that's a much deeper issue that has has to have an enormous amount of time and hours spent to help others. But the first step is let's identify it and maybe see what it looks like and uncover it and then uh, Jessica, I think, will give us a little bit of direction in the end. I want to start off in your book. You said we're going to go right to the heart of it, Jessica. You said this subject hits home on a special level for you. Break that down for us before we even get into this matter. Oh, Tim. Okay. You weren't kidding. All right. You give me permission to be human now, too. That's right. So, uh, suicide is something that came crashing into my life when I was 19 years old. My best friend died. Uh, she had just gone away to college and she died by suicide. And I had no idea, none, that she was struggling. I mean, it just completely hit me out of the blue. And I remember I was working at a pediatric clinic and my mom actually came to tell me that it had happened. And I remember being at the funeral and I was wearing contacts and I cried so hard. I lost my contacts, couldn't drive myself home, had some stranger drive me home uh, and just really wrestled with that. And someone at the funeral said, weren't you her friend? Like, didn't, what, how did you not know? Like, were you really, and really questioned me thinking maybe I wasn't that good of a friend. And then even after that, it just continued to be a recurrent theme for me. So I've seen many patients um, who have died by suicide and I've seen uh, my, uh, one of my daughter's cheer coaches' husbands died by suicide. Um, one of her best friend's brothers died by suicide. We were first responders there. I mean, it's just been a recurrent theme. And so much so that my daughter actually wrote her admission essay to college about the impact that this has had on her life. Did a science fair project, which she won first prize for, and still kind of resents that because felt like she shouldn't have gotten a prize for a project that says that 10% of her classmates had daily thoughts of suicide. So this is something, you know, I saw from a, a personal lens what long before I saw it from a professional lens. And when I first started in pediatrics, I hardly saw it at all. But then when I was working in a community regional hospital, literally, Tim, there was not one single day where I didn't have a kid come in from the ER who either was thinking of suicide or who had attempted it and was admitted to my service. So this is, it, you're right, it is a tough, topic to wrestle with, but something that is encountering teens on an almost daily basis in some way, shape, or form in their life. So we're going to come back to the the signs, because that was something you keyed in a minute ago. I, I, we're going to circle back around to that because I think that's important. But you also just touched on, you talked about the teens and, and the volume of teens. Your book, you yeah. say that it's the second leading cause of death, which was, I had no idea. I honestly didn't know I had that that was the case. Between the ages of 10 and 24, which is, good Lord, that's my demographic. That's who I'm talking to. So we're yeah. going to break this down. My first question is this, okay. is that trend better, the same or worse as it relates to historical figures? 
Where, where are we at right now? Worse. So infinitely worse, Tim. Actually, just recently, just in this last month, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released new statistics on the Youth Risk Behavioral Survey. It's just basically a survey they do of kids across the nation that gives us a pulse on what's really happening with kids. And it depends on what time frame you look at it, but those figures are worse by up to 60%. I mean, it is just unbelievable it is absolutely unbelievable how much worse this has gotten okay so it's the next obvious question why why do you think this has gotten worse what do you see what is it that we're that we're dealing with here that may be the cause for this in your opinion I think that most most suicide does not happen instantaneously. Most kids are not going to have something happen and t- make an instantaneous decision, go from perfectly fine to you know having suicidal thoughts or behaviors. This is usually prompted by a mental health crisis. This is going on for a long time. This starts with anxiety or depression. Sometimes that happens over risk-taking behaviors. But what I really think is happening is that we have kids who are living at the speed of a smartphone, having the world's bad news delivered to them in an instant, and then the social media algorithm reinforces that bad news, reinforces their worldview that the world is hopeless. These are kids up against the world's leading psychologists who are making a social media algorithm and training them to stay on that platform and to be connected to that bad news. So the other thing is that teens have pressure to be insta-perfect, insta-ready all the time. Their world can be changed so quickly. They can be made fun of. They can have a moment of indiscretion that goes viral. They can send a sext that then all of a sudden they think they can't see their way forward in their life. So I think all of those things of just living in the pressure of and at the speed of a smartphone is pushing forward a mental health crisis that is bringing us to the point of suicide. And we know that, you know, you guys out there listening, like you just, you think that the future is like next month, you know, it's hard to think five years or 10 years in the future. And so sometimes it just, what we have to recognize is that some teens, some of you out there listening are more afraid of living than you are of dying. So let's stay here for a minute because you've touched on some things and I love a couple of things that you said, and it reinforces something that I've talked about too. Social, it's interesting. Social media reinforces bad news. Would you elaborate on that? I think this is something these young men should hear. Let's unpack that for a second, Jessica. Sure. So let's see, for example, social justice, right? You watch video online and you see somebody experiencing racism and they are maybe that's physical abuse or verbal abuse. You watch that video and then immediately they're going to start giving you other videos of that until all of a sudden your newsfeed is just flooded with experience, people experiencing horrible abuses. I mean, they, they are real. I won't, I'm not going to say that it's not real, but I think that we're designed to live in community. And the truth is a lot of those things that happen, a lot of those bad things are relatively rare, but when you see it happening in your online world, it doesn't feel rare. It feels normal and social media platforms, they're 
main job is to keep you on there for one more minute and one more minute and one more minute. They're going to do that with salacious things. This is actually called, you may not realize this, but it's called trauma dumping. So it means you open up your newsfeed, you see someone disclose details of something traumatic that happens to them, whether that's maybe physical abuse, sexual abuse, racism, uh, substance misuse, and they tell you every nitty gritty thing of every bad thing that happened to you. And then you're watching more and more of that. And all of a sudden you think, oh, this is the world we live in. Like, this is awful. I don't want to live in a world like this. That's what happens. You know, I I was this was been a while back, probably a few years ago, and I, we were just sitting in a room at our home and just I had some family and friends and we were discussing the the Internet in general and social media. And I don't know who it was, but somebody made a comment. They said, you know, there is so much now on social media. We have the ability to see more than obviously we've we've been we've ever been able to see if I can get it out unfiltered was the key. Mm-hmm. And when that, the whoever said that, I wish I could credit him. I don't know if it was my brother-in-law or somebody. And the first thing that I thought of was, and I even made the comment, I said, I, I just feel like there is, there is a limit on what we as humans should see ever in our life. We should never see some of the things that are now being posted on social media on a regular forget about weekly or daily on an hourly or minute by minute basis. There's just some things that we should never see. We should never experience that or, or at the very least in very rare, rare instances. And I feel like Jessica, I'll turn this over to you in a second to expound. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it almost to me, it's, it desensitizes young men. It gets them to the point that, well, if you see some guy's arm get cut off, okay, well, that's just normal. That's just, a, you know, or, or whatever, we, or bullying, or, you know, you can go down all these different paths. I think there's something innately wrong with, with that and that they're, and I'm not calling on the government to step in. I don't know really what the answer is, but maybe expound on that. Do you agree that it's just... I don't, I just feel like there's just some, like, I, I don't ever want to see a person being murdered. I mean, why would I, why, why is that something I need to see? Why, what's the, how is that necessary in me for, to just live my life? Does it, does that, is that my making sense with all this? You are making sense. And if you think about it, you know, it's like a fish hook getting caught in your mouth. Once they have you hooked, then it's so easy to pull you through video after video after video and to see thing after thing. And what you're describing is actually a scientific phenomenon. We refer to it in different terms like disassociation. That is really feeling disconnected from your body and what's happening because your brain has a natural cutoff. You can only process so much trauma before you just just start to be numb to it. That is a physical response. Or a- another term we use is called somatization, where you your brain experiences trauma, but your brain can't process that psychologically. So it actually processes through your body and it presents like your stomach hurts and you can't sleep and you feel sick all the time and you're tired and you don't know why that is your body processing the trauma of what you've seen and it's really hard it's like that car wreck you know where you're just staring and you 
want to look away, but you can't. But if, you know, for your guys listening out there, I would just tell you when you see something and your brain says, oh, that is, you just get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like something bad. Listen, just turn your phone off. Shut down your social media and walk away. You know, search for like dog videos or sports bloopers or something that is going to disrupt your algorithm. And that's going to give you things that make you feel better because you really, you're right. We cannot process that. And then it starts to manifest itself in our relationships because we feel disconnected from the people around us. And then they don't know why they don't make that connection but it's just a physical response to your body processing trauma. And what I love what you just said is it puts control in our hands. Guys, this is important. It isn't about, I can't do anything about it. There's nothing I can do. This is just how it is. No, 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 no. You can, what did she say? You can shut it off. You can readjust the algorithms. You can walk away. You know, you you can take a sabbatical or a fast or whatever you call it. You know, it's amazing to me the number of young people I've had interactions with, and I would make comments, and they would talk about, oh, there's all this stuff, and I'm like, well, just take a little fast. And you would have thought I just told them that they can't eat for a week. You know, the the <laughs> how connected they are to this stuff that you know the, the FOMO and all of this other stuff yeah. that's going on. You're like, you gotta calm down, but. I say it a lot, control the controllables. And you know yeah. what? You're you're going down this path and you sense it and you feel it. And I think you're really on target with this. And this is something I try to talk to the young men about that. Listen, you got to be, and I'm not trying to be like touchy feely, but you do have <laughs> to be connected with what you're feeling and what you're sensing. There's, there is a signal that's being set off the minute you feel that. And most, I think, I hate to say this, but I think most of us, we don't even pay attention. Ah, that's just me. Eh, what is, you know, what, what, what's, you know, my buddy going to think about me or what is, who cares? Who cares what anybody thinks? It's about your mental well-being. So anyway, I could go down a bunch of bunny trails. Well, you're right. Let me say really quick, though, that when you don't process your feelings and you think, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. They are being stuffed in a secret cylinder that is deep inside the core of your soul. And what is going to happen is the pressure is going to build and the pressure is going to build until finally that relief valve is going to pop and you are going to lose it over something stupid. This is what happens. You know, the the drive through order doesn't come right and you feel an inexplicable rage and you think, why am I so angry? Or your mom says one thing to you, you know, like, hey, pick up your clothes. And you're just like, all of a sudden it is a knockdown drag out. That is feelings you haven't processed and they're trying to come out. Let's go to this other topic or the phrase that you mentioned. I want to speak on this for a minute. I want you to unpack it. Instaperfect. I, I know what you mean by that, but can we unpack that a minute? What do you mean by that? You know, it's a common misconception. People think only girls feel pressure to be perfect on Instagram. That is not true. Uh, if you look at all the male influencers who are out there, like showing physique and, you know, uh, their bodies and eating or their um, 
dance skills or moves and picking up girls. I mean, there are a lot of pressures for guys to be cool on social media, you know, and I know cool is not even cool. So I made myself uncool by saying cool, Um, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever word you would use um, to be, you know, to be admirable on social media. And so you feel like you have to be Insta perfect all the time. Because here's the thing, Tim, you and I did not grow up with, we grew up with the expectation that our pictures would be bad, right? Like they're going to be bad quality. Nobody's going to be looking. You have to preserve your little film. Like I'm sure guys, you're like, what are you even talking about? Mm -hmm. But we used to have to wait, you know, several days to develop film and you only had 24 pictures in your camera. You could take it a time. Yeah. You could take a hundred pictures in a minute now and then pick the best one, but people can take pictures of you without your consent and then post them. And then that makes you feel bad about yourself. And I know even my sons have had this happen. Like they'll take pictures and make fun of their posture or make fun of the way they eat or, you know, just any number of silly things that are still hurtful fantastic you're right on track we're right on track i want to move on to the next section here and let's let me circle back to what you said in the beginning you had lost somebody and you didn't see the signs let's talk about that seeing the signs recognizing the signs now whether take that like whether you want to talk get behind that subject or just specifically say here are the signs or what causes the signs i'm going to sort of leave that for you to discuss but let's talk about the the signs and the things that are beginning to maybe show that whether we should be aware of it or not at least there's some signs that are out there well first i'll talk about like if you see your friends and you're looking at your friends and you can see signs in other people sometimes there just aren't any sometimes people just really hide things very well but a lot of times when people are thinking about suicide they will float it as a joke first and just kind of say hey you know maybe the world would be better if i wasn't here or you know i Oh, I'm going to kill myself or just say something like that. You need to have a culture where anytime somebody says that it is an immediate full stop on the conversation and you say, hey, I care about you. And I just heard you say that. Did you mean that? And it is okay, Tim, to ask plainly, are you thinking about suicide? Are you thinking about killing yourself? Because a lot of guys think, oh, I don't want to ask that because that might give them ideas or make me them think that I think they should or something. No, that doesn't happen. Asking saves lives. And they may say, oh, no, 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 I'm not thinking about that. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to check on you. Every time you say that, I'm going to ask. If somebody says, yes, I'm thinking about it, then your question should be, do you have a plan? Now, that might sound really uncomfortable to say, but that's an important question. And if they say, yeah, I've thought about it, this is how I do it. Guys, that's an emergency. You need to find an adult you trust and tell them immediately that is someone's life that is in danger and you need to get them connected to services however you need to do it. If you're not sure what to do and you're by yourself and you don't know who to call, the National Suicide Lifeline is 988. It's just like 911, but it's 988. So call that at least as a starting place to ask what to do. But this morning signs, if you're thinking about even in yourself, if you're feeling hopeless, if you feel like you can't get out of bed in the morning, 
if a lot of people that I talk to, they say, I don't necessarily want to die. I just don't want to live anymore. I just don't, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do my daily activities. So if you see somebody who is just fading away from their life, hey, ask them, say, hey, I see that. I'm worried about you. And if that's you, listen, guys, talk to somebody, whether that's a trusted coach or a teacher or a parent or a pastor or a healthcare provider, say, I'm having thoughts of killing myself. I really need some help. They are not going to lock you away or say, oh my gosh, you know, like, oh, this is, this is bad. Let's bring out the straight jacket. That's not what's going to happen at all. They'll be able to help you make a safety plan and make sure that you're safe and, and look at those underlying causes so that they can look at those and think, what help do you need in your life to overcome these feelings that have brought you to this point? I think the key is I have been doing Thrivehood, been doing this for a few years now, and I'm even beginning to unpack a lot more about what men are and really what makes them tick. And I want to ask you a hard question. What I what okay. <laughs> what I sense, you're saying that right now. Maybe there's a boy listening. His very first mm. thought is, yeah, okay. All right, Jessica. Great. I have suicidal thoughts, but I'm a guy. And the last thing I'm going to do is show somebody that I'm weak to show somebody that I don't have what it takes because Jessica in America, at least I'm supposed to be confident and strong and virile. And I'm supposed to be the Clint Eastwood of my day, baby, right? Spaghetti Westerns, <laughs> yeah. Dirty Harry. Some of these guys need what I'm talking about. Go check it out, guys. You'll see Dirty Harry movies. I am. I stand alone. <laughs> I don't need anybody. Don't touch me. I can I can do this on my own. Now, there are some boys out there. I don't know. Maybe not listening, but I know that's out there because because that's part of who we have been told since society has told us you don't flinch. You don't cry. You just, and so I'm asking a hard question. How do they get around that? What is it that we can do to say, you, 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 so sometimes you just got to break out even out of that stigma. And actually you talk about stigmas. We can even you can sort of uh, roll into that too, if you want to. Sure. So what I would say to you, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't be that guy. I can't show weakness asking for help is the most courageous and masculine manly act of bravery that you could do because it is going to help those people who love you. See, when you're in a place where you're thinking you want to end your life, you believe the lie that the world would be better off without you and that the problems you have are causing so much pain for the people around you that this would be a kind thing. And it's not, they miss you. And in a study of survivors that we did, uh, young people who survived suicide attempts, almost every single one of them had profound regret and they wish they had asked for help. So you need to just throw that aside and put on your bravest self and just say, hey, I need some help in dealing with this. That is a brave thing to do. And especially for a healthcare provider, if that's who you're talking to, they are going to receive you with open arms and they're going to help you connect to help. And you're right, Tim, we talk about stigma because 
a lot of times when I work with families whose whose young uh, young child or, or teenager has had suicidal thoughts or behaviors, their biggest fear is not that their teen might die by suicide. Their biggest fear is that people might know that they wanted to die by suicide. And mm-hmm. stigma is at its core social rejection because we just think, oh, I don't want to think of myself like that. So let me think of what's different about them. Oh, they have divorce. Oh, they have financial problems. Oh, they've done drugs. So uh, that makes me different and that makes me feel safer. But it is uh, that's something that we really have to get past. And so not only is getting help courageous for you, it's courageous for other people because inevitably, if your life is saved, you're going to share that story with someone else. And that story may just save their life too. I may be backtracking here. And I wanted to mention this in your book. You talk about a word emergent. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Emergent emergence. emergence. Yeah. What is that? Tell us what that is. So sometimes people who have depression, and they are put on medication in those first few weeks when they're on medication, then they have energy. They have, they feel a little bit better as far as their physical energy, but their thoughts are still not great. It still takes some time, some therapy to deal with those. So they may have the energy to act out on suicidal thoughts where they didn't even have the energy to do that before. So medication is a safe and uh, evidence-based way to treat depression. But during those first few weeks, you just need extra safety parameters. You need extra people in your life who are watching you, who are supporting you, who are walking you through this period, just to make sure that you don't act out on suicidal thoughts that you have, because so many of those are so impulsive. More than half of kids who attempt suicide decide 15 minutes or less before. So you just need to embrace those support systems around you so that when you're having those thoughts, you can say, all right, I'm struggling. I need you to be with me right now. I need you to make sure that I'm safe. Make sure I don't have access to pills or to firearms or to sharp objects or to driving a car or those things that could be, um, that could be dangerous situations for you. That's what that is, Tim. Okay, that's good uh, because I want to try to touch on as much on your book as as we can because I think you know we're we're talking to someone here, gentlemen, that not only does she know what she's talking about, but she has firsthand experience in this as well with some of the loss that she's felt uh, personally in her life. When it comes to the backstory or the growing up the 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 younger years of of a young man's life does that have any significance when a young man getting into his teens and early 20s is starting to think about this or has thought about this is there anything from his from his family life maybe it's a better way to say that that you could say that there is some significance and that does play a part into having suicidal thoughts and tendencies yes absolutely and actually suicide does tend to run in families. A lot of times that's because mental health conditions come before suicidal thoughts or behaviors and those run in families. And if you are out there listening and you have parents who grew up, maybe they didn't have the best childhood. Maybe their parents didn't know how to be parents. Maybe they experienced abuse or neglect. One thing that we know 
that's a little bit scary, honestly, is that the way we respond to trauma impacts the way our DNA is read and transcribed. And so that can be passed on to you. Now you're thinking, oh my gosh, all these cards are stacked against me. Are you telling me my genetics are against me? Yes, I am. But here's the really important thing. Listen up. Just as in an unhealthy response to trauma can impact the way your DNA is read and transcribed, a healthy response to trauma can do the same. You can decide to be the difference. You can decide to break that pattern of generational trauma or abuse or whatever negative thing is there. You can break that cycle. And the the main way that you can break it is by having meaningful connection to one adult in your life. That is the biggest predictor of resilience. So guys, if you're out there listening and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is me. How do I get out of this? You need to find a mentor. You need to find someone who's a little older than you, someone who's a lot wiser than you, somebody who's been around the block a time or 10 and who is willing to invest some time. Most of the time you can find that through a church. If you go to your youth pastor or your pastor and say, hey, I really need this in my life. Um, Maybe it's a coach that you have. Maybe it is a, a relative who's got it all together. You need someone who's spiritually grounded, who is willing to walk through some of those things with you and to walk with you in relationship and to talk those tough things out, a trusted safe space where you can talk about things that make you feel unsafe. So I think that's a real, hope that we have that we can't and I have seen it and I have been the one in my family to break generational trauma I have a great relationship with my kids and that didn't happen in any generation prior to me and four generations back but I have it now now it's been hard it is not easy. There is no easy fix to that. I, I, I've been to therapy. <laughs> it's taken, you know, a lot of um, counseling, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of, you know, just uncomfortable spaces, but it is so worth it. It is so worth the journey. I am literally sitting here blown away what you just said, that the way that we react to trauma can actually have an impact on our DNA. Are is that are you serious about that, Jessica? I am serious about that. We the, the human genome was mapped in 2002 and we have learned so much about the way that our genetics work. So, it's awesome though because it works both ways. We're not cursed forever. We can have protective factors. And, you know, Tim, honestly, one of the greatest things about this is that this aligns with scripture. So let's take a scripture that says, you know, be anxious for nothing, but instead let the peace of God uh, you know, guard your minds. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything. So we know that practicing intentional gratitude actually changes the cells in our hearts. It gives our hearts lower blood pressure. It gives us a lower risk of heart disease, of stroke, of heart attack. So we know that God designed our bodies and he designed us that those simple acts are really going to be very helpful for our health. Wow. I I am blown away by that. That is, well, obviously the obvious, the the scientific uh, element to it, but 
the reason that it's it impacts me so is we're talking to these young men a couple of things if i'm a 17 year old and i'm dealing with suicidal thoughts two things come away from what you just told me number one is hey wait a minute it's not all me when you think about it there's something inside me that is driving this i'm not saying it's always the case and there's there's the asterisks in anything we're talking about but for you the guys listening number one is well wait wait a minute maybe maybe i can sort of put a finger on this a little bit maybe i can maybe i can sort of get an idea of you know we always ask the whys why why do i feel this way why is and i know it doesn't necessarily answer all the questions but maybe just maybe there's a fundamental scientific explanation to this. If if anything else that we're going, hmm, I mean, I need to think about this. I need to, maybe this is something that helps me, as I say, wrap my mind around why I'm here. The second part of this that is so powerful is that we have the ability to change that as we move forward. Same thing in my family, the same thing that I say so often to the young men, you can't just say, throw your hands up and say, oh, well, you know, I'm 16 and I'm a druggie. So I guess that's how it's going to be. And my dad was and my grand, it, 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 yes, it takes a lot of hard work. So do you want to spend a lot of hard work being a drug addict the rest of your life? Or do you want to spend a lot of hard work not being a drug? Because either way is hard. <laughs> either way. Yes, you choose your heart. Yes. And, and you know, it's interesting that you say that even about drug addiction, because drug addiction is usually an unhealthy coping mechanism for trauma that you've experienced. It's for self-medication, for anxiety or depression or abuse that you've experienced. And that's something I saw back in my family tree. We, when, we, uh, when I was in nurse practitioner school, we had to do what's called a genogram, which is a map of our family and map out diseases. And when I saw so much addiction, I thought this. This is untreated, unaddressed mental health. Going back to what you said at the beginning, Tim, because I have family members who were war veterans and it was not okay to talk about trauma or weakness that you have, but it's go you're going to cope with it somehow. So do you want to cope with it by asking for help or do you want to cope with it with alcoholism? Or substance addiction. I mean, you, you it, you're right. You you've got hard outcomes all the way, but you have the ability to make a productive choice. And the thing I would tell the young guys listening here is that your brain development doesn't finish until you're about 25. So if you choose before that, it's so much easier to rewire those patterns of negative thinking in your brain. After that, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And, you know, you become old at 25. Welcome to our world, right, Tim? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Let's get towards the end here. We're winding this down in what I like about your chapters as you break it down into three sections and the last section about suicide is behind the heart door and it i had no idea when i was looking at the book today you and i were on instagram or was it yesterday or day before and you had talked about the legacy letter and as and i was reading about that and i thought that's something I, i'm i'm gonna i'm I'm going to probably pleasurize and steal that if you don't mind, but uh, I'm going to make it a, a little different approach in that I'm I'm going to maybe come up with, I'm probably going to do a podcast on it about maybe leaving a letter. So when I'm gone, 
there's something that I leave with them. But it, I had no idea when we were, you and I were talking on Instagram that that's actually part of the suicide chapter. I, I'm like, I don't, you know, I didn't have any idea. So, you know, maybe it's a God thing. So let's finish this out. Just take a few minutes here and talk about as we, you're sort of wrapping all this, this hard subject up. We're talking about, you know, behind the heart door now. What is it about a legacy letter that you think would be really of value to both an individual, maybe parents and families or guardians, whoever's raising young boys? Just unpack that for us, if you would. Yeah. Well, when I say legacy letter, I mean an actual handwritten paper letter. And I was talking to a psychologist on a podcast who gave me a really interesting perspective that communication for teens today is all digital and it's all disposable. So text messages, you're constantly deleting to make more space on your phone. Snaps on Snapchat are intended to disappear. Photos are disposable because they can have so many of them. I mean, they, uh, they're just not as precious. And, you know, whereas I'm sure you, you probably like me, Tim, you have a box in your closet or your attic somewhere of some notes or cards that you've had. Our teens don't have those because even birthday cards are weird, right? Like who's going right. to give a card? Like <laughs> unless it's a gift card, like that's what I want. Yeah, yeah. They post on your social media timeline. So this makes a letter very novel. It makes it, you know, kind of coming back around again. There's something sacred and mystic almost and intriguing about it. And to have someone's handwriting, which is something that, you know, most teens don't have as much because so much of their communication is digital. So if you're listening out there and you are mentoring, you are parenting a young man, I'm telling you, writing a letter like this, and there's lots of prompts throughout the book could really change the course of their life. But there's a catch. There is a catch. You have to give the letter with no expectation of response. You can't give it and, you know, you might have this big emotional moment and just have this love bubble, you know, that you think, oh my gosh, there, I cried. You're going to cry. It's going to be beautiful. And they just give you a meh or a shoulder shrug. There's so many times, you know, that I've written notes to my kids and they end up on their bulletin board. So if you, but if you don't have anybody in your life like that, for this chapter, the legacy letter that I said to write is a lifetime line. Now we write life timelines in terms of, you know, my kids do these for school. And this is when I started playing baseball and here's where I broke my arm. And here's where we had a family vacation to, you know, wherever it was, was, but I would encourage you to write your own life timeline. And instead of historic moments, think of character moments. When are times that you felt proud of yourself, that you stood up to somebody, you stood up to a bully, that you were brave when you didn't feel like it, when you were kind and it made an impact? I mean, when you were showed humility, when you forgave someone who didn't deserve it, when you were, uh, you know, had extraordinary responsibility and you felt like you were really responsible and on top of it keep that there and wherever wherever it's accessible to you and then go back and look at it because research shows that thinking of your life in these positive terms is protective against suicide reminding yourself that you do have something to live for that you do have moments of value in your life that can be a grounding point for you that's a saving grace 
I've been several weeks back. I did a podcast called Victory Book, and it's very similar to what you're saying. But if any of the, you guys listening, if you have just started paying attention to what I'm doing and me flapping my jaws here, go back to the episode Victory Book. And I'm not trying to promote, promote myself over you. I'm trying to, in, in addition to support what you're saying, because it literally is the same thing, but it's from the perspective of the young man. And in there, I just say any chance that you have done something you're proud of, you've got a victory. You, you've, it doesn't matter. And you don't have to write paragraphs. Uh, today I asked a girl out and she said, yes, it can be that simple, right? It can be that simple. Yes. You know, um, some guy was picking on this girl and I walked over and told him to knock it off. And he did, you don't, we don't, us guys, we're not into, you know, I shouldn't say all of this again. I want to be careful, but a lot of us, we're just like, write a letter. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> but, but it's the same concept here is that sort of meshing that in what we're talking about today, when you have suicidal thoughts or tendencies, if you have 16 or 25 pages of what you've done over the last four or five years and you've had victories, you know, one bad day versus two and a half years of victories, uh, you know, we, we, we need to sort of, you know, shelve the idea of, man, I'm not even worth living when you see what all has happened. But I, but I like the concept that you're talking about. Now it's the, it's the adults that are saying, look at all the things and look at, look at how, what I've accomplished and what you can too. And we're sort of, you and I are sort of almost bringing those to a victory book and a legacy letter together. I think that's kind of a cool concept that uh, I was just now thinking about where you were sharing that. I love it. Let's steal each other's ideas. Okay. And spread more joy in the world. I mean, steal it all you want. And I love that concept. And I think that they need to do that. And when, you know, when you, you guys are feeling like you're having a bad day, Ask for people to flood your social media feed with happy things. Tell them, flood my video with, flood my feed with dog videos. Like, tell me something that you like about me. There's nothing wrong with saying that and having those changing the algorithm, changing your life outlook and changing what the course of your future might look like. Yes. And at the end of the day, this is the message. You have a choice. We have a choice. Don't think for a minute that you don't have a choice. You have a choice. Stop believing that you think you don't because you do. What Jessica's talking about, what Thrivewood's talking about, it continues to reinforce stop living the lie and stop believing the lie that there's no hope. There's That's a lie. It's just a flat out lie. I mean, I can't say it any other way. Jessica, I am so excited to have you on. Where can people find your book? Where can they find your podcast? Promote yourself. It's okay. Tell us Tell us where we can find more about you. Well, this is the second time in a row you've left me teary at the end because, yes, you guys, you matter. This is like our life's work, what we're doing, because we love kids and we want to see kids happy and healthy and thriving. So you can find me at drnursemama.com. That's drnursemama.com. So I'm, I've been the radio mama or podcast mama today, I guess. But that is my professor brain, my hands-on nursing experience, and my heart as a mom to guide families through difficult situations. You can find my podcast, Dr. Nurse Mama and uh, all my social media channels there. And I'd love to connect. Well, as always, 
I let my guest have the last word. And as we finish this out, what is a good message that you'd like to leave our young men today, Jessica? And again, thanks for being a part of the Thrivehood podcast. Well, thanks so much, Tim. This is just always so encouraging. And I know that our heartbeats are the same on this. And so my last word is your life matters. You matter. You are worthy of love. If you are having a hard time, there are better days ahead. God's mercies are new every single morning every morning, because that's how often we need them. If you are in trouble, if you are struggling, reach out to someone who loves you. Be brave enough, be courageous enough to say, I can't do this on my own. I need some help. And there is hope. There is just hope for you. This podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed by guests are not necessarily those of the host. Please seek the advice of a trusted adult or qualified professional on matters specific to your needs.